1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message with which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So for the reading of God's word, indeed, again, may he add his blessing to it as we hear it proclaimed again now and expounded. Well, I wonder how many of you have ever stared at the sun. <clears throat> Not a wise idea if you care about your uh, eyes, but most of us as kids have looked at the sun at one time or another. I would have never thought to look at the sun myself until our first grade teacher told our class not to do it. And of course, immediately everyone's eyes looked up, right? Everyone stared at the sun. Um, that's kind of how the way the law functions, right? <clears throat> Um, but right away, what happens is your eyes burn, which forces you to look away, right? They burn and you look away and you're blinded by the light, as it were. Uh, even on through life, you may be familiar with being under, uh, being out under the bright sun. And when you come out of it, uh, that bright light, it's hard to see and it takes a moment uh, for your eyes to adjust. Everything's broad, blotchy, um, and your, uh, eyes are distorted. Or contrast this to darkness. Darkness is the place of danger and disaster. I know when we lived in Washington, um, it was customary, not wise again. uh, It was snow occasionally, and at times people would be so freaked out about that that they would, on the freeway, park their cars and just leave in the freeway. And so, yeah, it's true. Um, And I was driving once, and the snow was coming down. You could see two feet in front of of the car, um, and then my lights went out for some reason. And, you know, that's treacherous, right? Uh, it's dangerous. Disaster is looming um, in the darkness. The Apostle John uses these images, dark and light, to put before us the reality of walking in darkness apart from Christ. Those who are enslaved to sin, ignorant of God, following these false teachers, claiming to be enlightened. Remember, we looked at this in the last number of weeks, who in reality are in complete darkness regarding the truth. They're not enlightened, they're endarkened. John is also showing us in these images, in these things that he is saying, that God is a far greater light than the physical sun which he created. 
as well as the blackness he's showing us that surrounds us and clings to us as those who are sinners saved by grace with the, sin, the flesh lingering in our lives. It's a darkness that's exposed only into looking at the perfect light of God. right? And so this is the light that we are to live in, to walk in. And when we do, we are walking in fellowship with the Lord and with His people. God is light. God is light. Our passage begins with John the Apostle linking the introduction, verses 1 to 4, with the first paragraph, if you will. It starts at verse 5 through the end of the chapter. Um, and so he says what? Notice in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message. This is the me- message. Of course, what's the this? What's the reference to that? Um, it's verses 1 to 4, right? What, what we heard, uh, what he just said. Uh, the message of Christ's coming in the flesh, raised bodily, the way of eternal life, through faith in him, God, the Messiah, crucified and resurrected. And about this message, this message, John says what? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. This is the proclamation of the message they, right, meaning uh, that we heard, uh, that's John and the apostles, heard from Jesus, right? It's the word of Christ. This is the message we heard from him, Jesus, and proclaimed to you. And this is the, this, this, this verse, uh, verse five is the head or the premise of what follows after. And it's this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And in his most simple terms, uh, we see that John does what? He begins with that proposition, that belief that is crucial. And that is what? God is. God is. God is. He starts with God. He starts with the Lord. We begin, right, being in the epoch that we're in, we're not apostles, we begin with that message from Christ, uh, that proclamation of the apostles. Right. That's where we start. It's here. This is where we learn in God's word about God, that he is first, that he is. And if you were to take just those first two words, God is, and ask a thousand people, how they would finish that phrase, how they would, what comes next? God is what? What do you think the majority of those people would answer? I know there are a few verses that people quote out of context or quote, and they kind of just know in their collective memory um, that are familiar, popular verses, uh, well-known verses, right? If I was to ask you the top five, I'm sure you would include, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? John 3.16. Or, uh, the one that's completely taken out of context, uh, that every non-Christian tries to use to poke in the face um, of the believer and as a shield for their sinning is what? Judge not, lest he be judged, right? <clears throat> but perhaps the one that believers and non-believers know best, if you were to survey all those people, they would say what? God is love. God is love, right? But that, that's not what John begins with. Right, that's like three chapters away. What does he say? God is light. God is light. Why does he do this? Right, why does he do this? Um, some people feel, uh, they would feel that beginning with God is uh, love would be the best place to start. Right? Given the distorted way the world thinks about love, it makes sense. Right? It seems squishy and nice. It appeals to the seeker. It destroys God's just wrath. Not a good thing. But that doesn't work biblically, right? It doesn't work biblically. 
John must first give an account and give some grounding and definition as to what he means by love. I mean, what a gross thing when we think about uh, the worldly view of love, right? Falling in and falling out of love. Right? Can you imagine the Lord's love upon you in that way? He loves you. He doesn't love you. He loves you. That's how the world defines love, you know. <clears throat> the feeling that can come and a feeling that can go. But God is not surprised by all the distortions and corruptions uh, that the world would invent throughout the ages. <clears throat> from the flesh, from the devil, and from the world. Right? Every Disney movie and every other thing you see in culture um, screams this distortion. We must be aware of the corrupting influence of the things that we allow into our minds, that we let into our hearts. <clears throat> uh, but God doesn't start there. He doesn't start with God is love. He says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And he tells us about fellowship with this God, the God of light. And in the context, what does that mean? The light means purity, means holiness. Remember that wonderful answer to the question, what is God, in our teaching tool, the shorter catechism. Right? What is God? The answer is what? God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, and truth. Goodness and truth. And those three attributes at the front end, those uh, incommunicable attributes you call them, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, are applied to the other seven attributes that are given. Right. So what does that mean? It means that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his power, and so on down the list. And so we get it, right? But he's also infinite in his holiness. He's eternal in his holiness. He's unchangeable in his holiness. So John says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And we can look throughout history, throughout the pages of Scripture, and we see this has always been emphasized. Right? God reveals himself as light in the Old Testament. Remember the Exodus. Right? God reveals himself to Moses in what? A burning bush. A burning bush. And then later on to Israel, represented as a pillar of fire, lighting and leading and protecting his people. Recall also the tabernacle. Right? When it's set up and when God's presence is, is represented there by fire in the golden lampstands. And also in the temple later on, his glory fills the temple. Or on Mount Sinai, do you remember Mount Sinai? When Moses meets with the Lord and he receives the Ten Commandments, how that is described in Exodus 20. It says, now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, right? You see that? What an incredible, incredible thing. Thunder, lightning, smoking. It says the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. In the Psalms, we see this throughout as well. Uh, these examples can be multiplied. But what do we find there? Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. And of course, we know that God's word is what? A lamp unto our feet. Again, examples could be multiplied. And this imagery is echoed into the New Testament as well. 
regarding Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See the contrast. In old Simeon, you remember in Luke 2, right? The very early chapters of Luke. He calls Christ's mission, his work, what? A light for revelation. First Timothy says that Christ is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of Lord, lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. In one more, we recall the transfiguration. Right? The transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Again, examples could be multiplied. But as we look at the remainder of our passage <clears throat> this morning, 1 John 1, 5 to 10, we see that there are, the way that the passage is structured, there are three negatives and two positives, right? They're interlaced together. Verse 5 is the head main statement, and then 6, 8, and 10 are these negative uh, statements, if you will, and then 7 and 9 are interlaced between those, and they're uh, the, the glorious um, positives there. Uh, and I would add that next week we'll look at um, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which complete kind of the cycle of what John's doing here. But we'll deal with that next, le- next week. And of course, that is indeed a positive statement. Um, but we see that John writes in a recursive way. right? John writes, writes in a rec- recursive way, saying the same thing from different angles, returning to the same thing, expanding what he's saying. This is the way that he uh, writes. And so John tells us, a number of implications in these verses regarding fellowship with this God of light. All right, and so first he says what? He tells us fellowship with God requires walking in light. Fellowship with God requires walking in light. And that seems clear enough, right? It seems clear enough. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? And so walking in darkness does what? It reveals the lie of saying we have fellowship with God. Reveals the lie of that proposition. If we say I have fellowship with God, but I walk in darkness, if I persist in walking in the darkness, then John says you're lying. You're lying and you do not practice the truth. You do not do the truth is what, what the word means. It means that you're a phony. It means that your life is not true, that you're a false person, that you are not the real thing, if you will. You're hiding and pretending, and you're deceiving yourself. Those are pretty hard words, pretty hard words, right? You know, you think of the apostle that you would want as your pastor when we read the New Testament. Um, Surely we don't want Paul, because he seems kind of radical, right? Uh, But this is pretty radical, right? This is, uh, John was known as the apostle of love or the theologian of love. But these are pretty uh, harsh words. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. These are hard words, but they come from love. Love for God and love for the people that he's telling them to. And then John brings the remedy in verse 7. He gives the negative, then the positive in 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. It's a glorious passage, is it not? And this is, uh, 
And that this is if we truly are walking in the light, as he's in the light, what do we do? What do we do? We bring our sins, we bring our needs to him, whatever they are. Right? The injured man doesn't run from the doctor when he's bleeding out or when he's been poisoned or when he's been seriously ill. He doesn't pretend that he will just go on and all is well. And for us, dear Christian, we go to the great physician, Jesus Christ, with all of our stuff, all of the things, all of our anguish and all of our, yes, failings. And we go to him because he has promised to deal precisely with those things and to bring restoration and healing and refreshing and cleansing. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? And this really is the sweet reality of the Christian life. Right? The more ready we are to flee to Christ in all of these things with our guilt and sin, seeking forgiveness, the closer and closer and more intimate our fellowship becomes with him and with fellow believers. Right? It's going from being uh, an unreal person to a real person, an honest person, bare before the Lord. Because hiding, um, there's death in hiding before the Lord, right? He knows anyway. <clears throat> and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, from all sin. Right, it's beautiful, beautiful indeed. May we never forget the double cure, as the hymn says, that we have as believers from the blood of Christ of our sin, that twofold cure of salvation, remember, from the guilt and the power of sin, the guilt and the power, cleansing indeed, right? And so it actually tells us uh, about this fellowship with the Lord that freedom from sin requires confession. Freedom from sin requires confession. This is one of the points, the agitators, remember those false teachers disrupting, splitting that church, were saying, uh, but it's so modern as well, right? This isn't something that's died in the first century. I'm sure you've heard it. Maybe you've said it before at some time in your own life, right? What's all this blood talk? What's all this drama? I don't need a savior. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. What does that even mean, right? But, contradiction to that sentiment, John, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the Lord is not in us. The truth, rather, is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And there are those, you may or may not know this, even today, in some communions, in some factions, you uh, they will tell you that they've reached a higher, a next tier in the Christian walk. And they'll say that they've gotten to a place of sinless perfection. And we know this historically as the movement, the perfectionism, perfectionism movement. Um, and this position is sad and it's terrifying. It's sad and it's terrifying. Equally terrifying is the false humidity, uh, humility and humbleness and pretended superiority of self-deception, of those acting a role and having disconnect, having been disconnected from reality. These people often fabricate such a role that they are only living a fantasy of their own invention and they remain in their sin, blind to their sin, blinded by delusion. And this is sad and tragic and terrifying for them. God's word says, 
otherwise. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Be able to do this, that it's calling out this verse, right? You have no idea, no extent of your self-deception. You've lost touch with reality, right? That's what's meant by truth there. Uh, that's what's included. The truth is not in us. It's reality, that which accords with the truth, that which is true. And it's also a very real fear that we have of uh, instinctively of bringing our sins and confessing them before the Lord. And that fear is what? It's the fear that God will vaporize us, right, in his holiness. He'll cast us out. But John, the theologian, the apostle of love, assures us in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What what a beautiful (laughs) follow-up to the warning, right? There's no self-cleansing here, no auto-forgiveness. Notice that if we do confess, it is God who is faithful. It is God who is just, the one who acts to forgive and to cleanse. He's the one, he's the active party there. So finally we see failure to acknowledge sin repudiates the God of truth and reveals a wordless heart. A heart without a word. Um, Failure to acknowledge sin repudiates the God of truth and it reveals a wordless heart. Earlier, John has said that if we say we have no sin, we are liars, right? We are liars. But now in verse 10, what does he say? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, right? And the word is not in us. Not that... We're liars, but we make him a liar. And you see the downward spiral, um, the progression of what he's doing here. It's as if John was saying that, saying we have not sinned, we're attacking God's honesty, his holiness, his truth, his goodness. We're screaming at him and calling him a liar. And it's indeed this wicked fist shaking in God's face of indifference. I don't care. I don't care. You may have... Loved ones that have this attitude. And there's something to be said about John stopping the pattern there, deviating from the pattern, right? There's no next corrective in the pattern that he's been going through in verses 6 to 10. The affront of God's character reveals a wordless heart. His word is not in us. And that is a dire and severe situation, brothers and sisters. And John has nothing left for them. Nothing left for them. Many see this as a form of the unforgivable sin mentioned elsewhere in the Gospels. <clears throat> May we take great care not to be cavalier with our lives or careless, careless with our pursuit of holiness. For as the author to the Hebrew says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. John will go on, we'll look at this next week. First John 2, uh, to give a, a summary of what he just said and then the solution again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. And in the end, that's what it's all about, right? It's his holiness given to you that assures our lives in glory with him. 
That's how much he loves his people. That's how much he loves them. And as we live our lives here, still sinners, saved by grace, for you and me, it's ever appropriate to ask, how are we walking? How are we walking? Walking in truth? Are we walking in light? Are we self-deceived? Do we call God a liar? Does your sinning bother you? Are you or are you comfortable in that sin, in the dark? It's so easy. It's so easy because of our weakness and our feebleness to be dulled by sin, to be comfortable in the dark, to thinking little of sin and little of Christ. We have no hope other than that, other than the love of God in Christ for us. We must seek the Lord, brothers and sisters. Believe in his promises to us. Trust in his word, the word of truth. And when we do, what do we find? What do we find? We find that we are helpless to rescue ourselves. We find that we won't walk in the light, in fellowship with the Lord. We won't practice do the truth. We find that we will remain deceived, unclean, unrighteous. And we find that the word of truth We find in that word, once again, that walking in the life, living in the truth, is not dependent on our own efforts. But that these are the result of God's love. God's love in the cleansing of Christ's blood for his people. And that blood cleanses us, not from some sins or some unrighteousness, some uh, befoulment or dirtiness, but all sins and all unrighteousness. And if that's true of you, dear Christian, that you've trusted in Christ as your only hope in this life and the next, that you've been cleansed in him, that you are united to him, holy, healed, and heaven-bound, if that's true of you, no wrath of the divine judge remains for you. Because Christ took all of that wrath and judgment and punishment in your place, in your place. If you are indeed his and belong to him and he to you, God is no longer your judge because he's now your father. He's now your heavenly father, the father of light. And he has made you clean and holy and righteous. And he says to those who believe in his son, don't walk in darkness, child. That's not who you are. I've cleansed you. I've freed you. I've enabled you to walk in my light as my child. And when you fail, and when you do sin, and you are brokenhearted because of your love for me, remember again and believe afresh. Trust in the truth. You have been cleansed in the blood of Christ. And you have fellowship with me in Christ and with your Christian family, the church. Walk in the light by the power of the Spirit made possible by Jesus, my beloved Son. Confess, repent, believe my word concerning you, my son, my daughter. You have died in Christ, and your life is now hidden in him. Therefore put to death what is dark and earthly in you. This is his call to all of us. And how do we do that? How do we do that, brothers and sisters? How do we put that dark, earthly sin to death in us? We do that by walking in the light. By walking in the light, by confessing our sins, by trusting in the cleansing you've received by the blood 
of Jesus Christ. But how? Right? What does that mean? How? Why? It's because he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And as we believe the gospel and trust in the Lord, relying on him to increase our faith through the word, through sacrament, through prayer, he will grow our belief. He will increase our faith. He will show, he'll reveal to us the blackness and sin that remains. And he will draw us to himself to confess and to cleanse once again. And that's growth, right? That's how we grow as believers in Christ. We sin and we fall. And we are crushed under the weight of our guilt and disappointment of that failing. And for letting down the Lord who lived and died for us. And it's crushing And in that sadness and in that despondency, the Lord says what? I sent my only beloved son who knew no sin to be sin in your place, that you would be my very righteousness. Remember who you are. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth. Walk in fellowship with your Lord and your God. And for those who are, you are grown in holiness. Secure in Christ, living in gratitude and thankfulness, living for Him. May we never, never take the love and cleansing and fellowship of God for granted, brothers and sisters, but always and ever keep short accounts with the Lord and keep close accounts with Him, trusting His word of forgiveness and promise to us, His children, whom He truly and deeply loves, and with a posture of grace and awe and delight, and gratitude. Let us walk in the light as he is in the light, in fellowship with our king and his people, cleansed and whole for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are the God of all mercy, and that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. Lord God, you are uh, most holy and most just, We confess if you were like us, we would all be condemned. But you are a God who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfastness and love and faithfulness, who delights to save sinners. You're a God, yes, who's just and willing to bring judgment, but not before pleading and waiting and offering yourself in word and sacrament, generation after generation. So Lord God, we pray that your mercy displayed to us even today will once again bring us back in repentance and faith, enlarge our hearts towards you. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.